Hey, for all you real estate professionals out there, The Buyer's Mind is sponsored by Homebridge Financial. Homebridge loan officers are experts in home financing, and they bring sales ideas and strategies and market intelligence and programs that will help us sell more homes. So to learn more about that, go to builder.homebridge.com, Homebridge Financial, home financing made easy. Welcome to The Buyer's Mind, where we take a closer look deep inside your customer's decision-making mechanism to reverse engineer the perfect sales presentation. Now, please welcome your host, Jeff Shore. Well, greetings, everyone. Jeff Shore here. Uh, welcome to The Buyer's Mind, uh, the video version of The Buyer's Mind. And uh, we're just thrilled today. We're going to hear from Charles Green, co-author of the famous book, The Trusted Advisor. You know, it's interesting when I look at the very title of that book, The Trusted Advisor, these are words that tend to resonate with salespeople. That's what they want to be. They want to be that trusted advisor. It speaks to our very core of who we are as people. As people, we want to be trusted advisors. Uh, joined, as always, this time on video by our show producer, Paul Murphy. Murph, when you do you sort of remember at least loosely when you first heard the term trusted advisor and how that sort of spoke to you right out of the gate? Well, I think uh, when I first started the company that had a retirement program was probably the first time I realized I needed a trusted advisor, yeah, especially in right. the area of finance. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that was hugely important, especially when you think about retirement and money. Sure. Yeah. Well, when you think about that from the financial side, it's a good point. When you think about the financial side, when you think about your physician or your attorney or whatever it happens to be, all these people go by doctors. I'm, I, I'll go by titles. I'm a doctor. I'm a surgeon. I'm an accountant, I'm, you know, an attorney, whatever it is. But if they're not a trusted advisor, they're not doing their job. So that role of trusted advisor fits under the title, but it's also just really, really critical to what's going to happen next. And of course, the need to be able to trust is critical. So in order to do that, we need to learn what trust is. Let's figure out what trust is from our guest today, Charles Green. Well, this is great. We've got uh, Charles Green on the podcast here. He is the co-author of a book that I know you're familiar with. If you're not, you certainly should be, the book, The Trusted Advisor. And uh, it's been just a, a, just such a huge hit and for all of the right reasons. It talks about doing business the way that we're supposed to do business and in a way that's very consistent, I think, for our audience uh, that would shun the idea of sales as manipulation or getting you to trick, getting you to trick you into doing something you don't want to do otherwise. Right. Uh, you can learn all about Charles Green at TrustedAdvisor.com. We're thrilled to have him on the program. Charlie, thanks for joining us. How are you today? My pleasure. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Very well. Thanks. And you. And, and you're joining us from where? Where Where are you calling? Uh, I'm in Boca Raton, Florida today. I'll be back up in New Jersey in a few weeks. Got it. So you split your time a little between uh, those, those yes. two places. Yeah. Right. Uh -huh. Oh, sucks to be you, Charlie. I'll tell you what, that's not a bad <laughs> life right there. I, yeah, I picked yeah. the, the right place to be in if you have to, uh, you know, home quarantine. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it, uh, tell me a little bit about your journey at the time that we're recording this. We are now here just coming out or we're getting green lights uh, going on around the country. Tell me about your journey and what it's been like here in this quarantine environment. Uh, in, in, in the last three months or so, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. I've been, well, I've been fairly hunkered down. Like I said, um, fortunately a lot of what I do is, um, or maybe half of what I do is virtual, this kind of thing anyway, keynotes, some yeah. workshop things. So it hasn't honestly been changed terribly much. Um, mm -hmm. 
and, and you know, not in a bad direction either. I'm, I'm quite happy with things moving to virtual. Yes. I think, uh, we've got one big four client, for example, who had a five-year plan to migrate to virtual and all their training. They're now doing it in six months. So uh, isn't, that, isn't that interesting how quickly everything happened because we were yeah. the same way. And I think in some cases we said, well, we, we're not going to do that because we can't do that. And then along comes this disaster and say, well, I'll be darned. I guess we can do that. I guess we all. can do that. Yeah. Necessity, yeah. mother yeah. of invention, all that stuff. Very That's true. Right. So when you look at it, Charlie, going forward then, and bear in mind that there might be somebody who's going to listen to this or watch this a year from now, and we'll right. already see yeah. how the dust is settled by then. But yes. but. How much of that of the virtual selling do you think is going to stick? Do you think we're going to see a whole lot more or do you think we'll go back to, you know, sort of walking into businesses, calling indoors, people showing up in sales offices, and that's the predominant sales presentation? I think? think you're going to see a lot of it stick um, mm -hmm. because if you just alluded to, you know, if it's if it's some abstract thing in the future, you're inclined to say, well, that can't work. I can't imagine doing that. And then what's the phrase? Don't let a good crisis go to waste. I think we're all right. having to discover how it works and, and getting more comfortable with it. Uh, mm -hmm. I know, for example, one big client, they were, uh, when I did virtual with them before, maybe 20% of the people would come on camera. The rest are lurking, you know, they're uncomfortable, et cetera. It's now 80%. And I think, you right. know, J Jimmy Fallon and company led the way, you know, that you can stare at their basement and heck if they could do it, you know, we're all much more, <laughs> not only forgiving and having dogs right. and cats and babies running across the keyboard, it's actually yeah. turns out to be kind of interesting. It's a way to connect with people that we didn't think we had available. So I think uh, a lot of it's going to stick. I'm sure it varies on a particular business, but more than we would have thought. It's a really interesting take when you look at the idea of authenticity, which we're going to get yes. into as we talk about trust. There is a very specific link, of course, between authenticity and trust. But we are seeing people in that environment where, you know, the kid runs into the picture or the dog jumps in their lap or whatever the case may be. And it actually makes them a little bit more real, a little totally. less, less slick, if you will. Right. Totally. And, you know, yeah. who would have thunk? It's obvious when you think about it. But yes, yeah. Uh, yeah. there are some some ways that uh, it's actually, you know, faster, more efficient than some weird ways, more effective to have those kinds of things happen. Yeah. Let's say, let's go all the way back and find the origin of your trust journey. Trust is a topic. I, I don't think you're going to get anybody watching or listening right now who's going to say, ah, trust is overrated. I think we would all agree in general, right. and yet you had this tremendous nerve and usually I find that people who write books, the story of the book is already within them before they put it down on paper. So this had to be something that you had gravitated toward. So take us pre-book, if you will, and tell us yeah. a little about the journey and what really got you into that concept that, it, that, that trust is sort of where it's at. Well, as you suggested, I mean, uh, the book is within the person if circumstances conspire to let it come out. Um, that, that was true for me. It's also true. I got lucky, just random circumstances. I had a 20-year career in management consulting, Harvard MBA, all that good stuff, and then mm -hmm. left at age 45 and casting about, not knowing what to do. I did some journeyman training for a while, and then I got lucky. Deloitte & Touche, the big four accounting firm, was holding a massive all-partner North America 
America all service line two-year training program. And they hired Columbia and Kellogg business schools to deliver it. But the head of that program at Deloitte said, we love you guys. That's why we hired you. But you also need to find a few people who are not just academics. who have actually been around like retired consultants or something. Well, mm-hmm. hello. I knew mm-hmm. somebody who knew somebody. Yeah. And the day before the first of these 40-odd uh, two-week-long sessions kicked off, the client, the head of partner development, came to me and a friend of mine and said, one of the guys missed his plane last night. We got an opening tomorrow for half an hour. Can you guys throw together something in the idea of a trusted advisor? Yeah. And we said, sure, we'll do a two-by-two two matrix, you know, something that'll be fine. Sure. And we did, and it went very well. And he said, hmm, why don't you see if you can stretch it to an hour next time? And then it was two hours. And then after three or four of those, we thought maybe there's a book here. We started casting mm-hmm. around, uh, could not find a publisher or an agent who would touch it because at that time, the reigning paradigm, this is back in 2000, uh, was good to great. It was fully database. And they said, where's your data? And we said, it's not really a data book. It's more kind of a wisdom book. It's like yeah. the three of us authors, all of us have made every mistake in the book over our consulting careers. And this is about all those mistakes and how to prevent them from happening. Uh, we, the first two of us bumped into David Maser, who had previously written a few books. And he said, I'm kind of trying to write the same book. If you want to make me lead author, I'll pick up the phone, call Simon and Schuster. We'll have our book deal. So that's mm-hmm. exactly what happened. Welcome, lead yeah. author. David picked up the phone. Boom. There you go. And of the three of us, I'm the one who thought as time went on, this trust stuff is kind of interesting. Let me see if it has legs, see where it goes. So that was it. Um, Yeah. You're right. The, the, the perspective, I had spent 20 years in consulting, more relevantly, perhaps. I've been through two divorces, raised two kids, been in an interracial marriage, and uh, I just the other day celebrated 25 years of uh, sobriety. And those experiences, interestingly enough, I think taught me at least as much, if not more, about the nature of trust and dynamics and so forth. It's really kind of about how people relate to other people. Let's and, explore that a little bit here because sure. I, it, that's that's absolutely fascinating. I, I didn't. It's not a uh, turn that I expected this conversation to take, but I'm. I'm <laughs> I don't always realize what the heck. No, no, no. But I'm thrilled that you're willing to be open and honest about it because yeah. uh, I think we can learn. Normally, I think people would look at it and say. People would not look at it and say, out of adversity comes trust. We might look at it and say, out of adversity comes experience, out of adversity right. comes wisdom, and all and all of these things are true. Right. But it, it's not the easiest jump to say, out of adversity comes trust. T- well, tell us turns, why those things are connected together. It, it turns out there's a lot of paradoxical things about trust. Uh, like uh, the best way to sell somebody is stop selling in the old sense of the word. The best mm-hmm. way to get somebody to listen to you is to shut up and stop talking. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, or there's a, for example, everybody has this little truism, trust takes time. Turns out not really, mostly mm-hmm. it doesn't with a yeah. few particular exceptions. So I think the adversity thing, I've often felt that we learn more as people, we learn more from screw ups and failures than we do from watching some lucky guy execute it perfectly. Mm-hmm. You know, I like that. But if I can see something go wrong and diagnose what it was, there's huge learning in that. That was true for me. And I find we replicate it in our workshops too. We try and engineer train wrecks, for example, in role plays and make sure everybody feels okay. But that gives you the chance to step back and say, why the heck did he just say that? Yeah. And don't laugh too hard because you would have said the same stupid thing. Why do we do that? So, 
Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um, I was listening to a speech by Malcolm Gladwell about oh, this yeah. recently, and he was talking about, and he was referencing his book, Talking to Strangers, and Great the talk. idea that um, we we have this this idea, trust takes time, trust is earned, and his take on it was more that, no, I think trust is more instinctual, it's more given, it can be disearned, if that's a word, right. um, but but that maybe there we are more of a trusting society than we sometimes give it credit for. It's only a question of what you do with that trust and how you don't screw it up. I think that's right. I mean, if you, uh, not for the first time, Malcolm Gladwell gets a lot right. Uh, we, we tend to, one thing I say is that we all have a very commonly shared sharp idea of what trust is and how it works. It's the language that messes it up. Mm -hmm. So you look at all the headlines and you see stuff like trust in banking is down. Well, two things. Number one, institutions, banking, police, politics, government, whatever, that's a very weak form of trust. Mm -hmm. Yes, you can say they're credible or they have a track record. You can't say that you can have an intimate relationship with an, an entity, a corporation. You can't say that, uh, that Apple or Google is low self-orientation and focused on your needs. You can say that about people. You can't say about an organization. So most of what we read about is not interpersonal trust, which is actually the most powerful form of it. And on that level, if you think about it, it's incredible how willing we are to trust other people, how we do every day. Uh, they do measure this, a thing called the General Social Survey over decades, and you find that the, the, the propensity to trust, to trust other people. Uh, it varies by culture, but it's very, very steady. It's slowly been declining, but very, very mm -hmm. slowly. And mm -hmm. uh, you're right. We do trust people a lot more than you would think reading the newspaper. You know, one thing that's uh, interesting is as our audience is largely sales professionals, influence right. professionals. And, and when you talk about that idea that interpersonal trust is more powerful and maybe it's sort of a given until we abuse that. And yes, yes. We do find here that there is this portrayal of the salesperson as that, you know, in the pejorative of that slick, sleazy, right. I'm going to trick you into doing something that you don't really want to do. And exactly. whether that's because of past experience or the way it's been portrayed in the media, there is that sense that sometimes customers come into a sales environment, be it a, you know, it's an open home, it's a car dealership, it's, you know, the, the video store, whatever it is with that skepticism. So, yeah, so it, it, let's talk about how to address that and what advice you would have for salespeople who might sometimes be dealing with people who are coming in with a yeah. bias that right. is self-protective, but damaging to the ability to form trust. Well, that's right. And it's not without reason. I mean, if you mm -hmm. look at the, uh, uh, the history and if you look at the pattern of, of way many salespeople interact with, unfortunately, they feed it. Um, so I guess, I mean, we could go a couple ways with that. Let me, let me go back to the paradox thing again. Uh, some of the most trust creating things you can say are, for example, I don't know. It goes against the grain of everybody. You're supposed to know. You're supposed to shut up. But the ability to say, I don't know that one. First of all, who's going to doubt you on that? Mm -hmm. It's actually yeah. the most credibility enhancing thing you can say. Uh, a couple other hugely uh, trust training things would be, you know what? You're better off working with my competitor on that one. He's got this one better than I do. Wow. Who's going to doubt you on that? I'm not recommending that as a tactic, by the way, unless it happens to be true. Mm -hmm. But uh, other variations on the theme, you know what? I don't think you should be buying that from us right now. You should wait six months. You're not ready for it. Those are examples of places where you're clearly putting the client's or the customer's needs over your own. And people immediately react to that. Um, 
And now I think the best thing, let's see how to put this. The essence of, of being what I call a trust-based seller is to quickly flip the conversation to the customer and to genuinely and seriously and capably focus on what's right for them all with a single mindset in the back of their mind. If you pick up any sales book or any sales process, you will find that they teach you how to what? Get the sale, to be better at getting the sale. So the objective, unconscious in the mind of most salespeople is, I gotta get the sale. Well, that's the wrong objective. If your objective were conversely to help the customer, period, full stop, end of sentence, guess what, we're back to paradox. Those people actually sell more. So by flipping the, the, the sale itself as being the goal and instead make it merely an outcome, a byproduct, a happy result, you actually get better results. People do buy more from people they trust. And one indication of trust is, are you in it for me or are you in it for you? Um, if you'll indulge me a quick, quick story here. I remember I was giving a workshop for an investment banking company a little while ago. And before the talk, a guy came up to me and he said, listen, I know your book. It's good, blah, blah, blah. But you should know I, for example, am, I'm in this for the money. No excuses, no ifs, ands, and buts. I'm in here to make money. That's why I joined this business. And if we have quarterly goals, I'm going to organize my entire work around quarterly goals. And if they ever change it to monthly, I'm going to do monthly. Just thought you should know who you're dealing with. And I said, well, let me ask you, does your company change its strategy every quarter? No, of course not. That would be ridiculous. Well, what makes you think this is any different than that? If you're going to change your behaviors, et cetera, et cetera, every quarter, every month, they're going to see it. They're going to feel it. It may be conscious, it may be unconscious, but it's going to bleed through. So if your actions are totally dominated in the short term, you're not going to do that well compared to somebody who says, I don't know if I'm going to get this transaction or not, but I'm going to behave in the long-term best interest. This goes to one of the biggest myths in B2B sales anyway, and I think B2C too. The best way to get short-term results is not short-term behavior. The best way to get short-term results is long-term behavior. And if you're consistent and clear and you sort of look at how you talk about price, look at how you talk about networking, closing, any of that stuff, if you infuse it with a notion that this is actually for the customer and I don't care whether I get it, you'll get more. Mm -hmm. But you can't fix the game. It's a paradox. It's difficult to try and get your head around, especially if you've been raised in a different environment where That's it's right. just, you know, you, you've got a, a, an executive looking and saying, we're not going to lose another sale. We're going to do whatever it takes. You know, and it's, exactly. uh, it gets a little nasty. You know, recently I, um, I, we got a dog, we got a, a quarantine dog here and uh, we had found the dog online. But when we went to this, the dog seller who sold a lot of different dogs, uh, right. We said, hey, we're interested in this dog, Blackjack. And 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 she said, great, uh, let's start by having you fill out a questionnaire just so I get to know you and your goals and everything. And then we'll chat a little bit. And then she goes, all right, good. That was really helpful. And you don't want Blackjack. Huh. I'm like, lady, I'm trying to give you a whole lot of money right, right here right. for this dog. And she's like, this is not the right dog. For you. Can't wait to hear right what now. she said. Yeah. She, she said, Brody is the right dog for you. She says, I'm, I'm interested in both my dog and you being happy at the end of the day. And I'm going to tell you right now, I won't sell Blackjack to you. He's not the awesome. right dog. And I got to tell you, we bought Brody and we've been thrilled. And he, right. it, it, again, it's that paradox because I paid a huge premium for this. This is not a cheap dog. I paid a lot of money for this dog. Right. And, and yet at the end of the day, what happened? I was dealing with somebody who said, I'm not going to sell you uh, if it's not right for you. It, it, it's a beautiful story. 
Can I steal that story? It's perfect. It really is. <laughs> there, there you go. There it, you go. It, it, it exemplifies exactly what I'm talking about. You're totally right. You trusted that person immediately once they revealed. Completely. Yeah. Yeah, completely. But I, but I had wanted to ask you, and you sort of beat me to the punch with this guy who said I'm all about the money. You, your book flies in the face of what you're going to see with a lot of people out there. And it, there's, you know, I, I have held that there is that that line between, if you will, old school, if you, whatever you want to call it, the yeah. just get the sale of whatever it takes and that trusted advisor role, th those two factions are getting further and further apart. In other words, it's getting easier to identify which camp you're in. You're on one side or the other. Am I being too black and white on that? No, I, I, you would know more than I would about the mm -hmm. trends, but um, uh, it's, it's real. And um, yeah, but I, I defer to you in, in the trend on that. I'm, I'm inclined to believe it. What are some of the things that salespeople do early in the process that violate what have otherwise been a given trust? Um, well, let's pick a couple. One of, one of my favorites is uh, you read most sales books that say, don't mention price until you've established value because you don't want them to reject you without fully understanding the value. Well, the fact is, if you go into any transaction uh, as a buyer, one of the first things you want to know is the price. And a mm -hmm. reticence to talk about the price is a turnoff. You're sitting there waiting. You're focused on the price thing, and they're not talking about it. Solution's very simple. You say at the outset, listen, I, so that neither one of us embarrasses ourselves. let's just make sure this is my guess is about a low five-digit number. Are we in the same ballpark? Mm -hmm. the other person's, yeah, that's what I was saying. Good. We'll work out the details later. Just wanted to make sure that, you know, this doesn't become embarrassing. Well, there you go. You've done it. You know, it's, an, it's, so it, it's on record. This. You're not disrespecting your customer. We're Correct. going to talk about it. We're going to give you some sense that we're not going to waste your time. Now put a pin in that and we'll get back to it. Exactly right. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. I think uh, another one, and again, this may sound too B2B, but let's let's try it here. <clears throat> a big mistake, I think, is um, uh, a lot of lesson that people took from the Challenger sale and all that was throw some really smart content at them, have a point of view. And um, that's, in certain ways, that's very good advice, I believe. You know, schmoozing and all that stuff is, is overrated. However, there's got to be a, a risk component to it. There is no trust without risk. And either you're taking a risk or they do. And if you want to kickstart it, you know, you need to learn how to take a risk. So here's one way to do it. Instead of t handing over, here's a great white paper or here's a research thing. Or here's an article I saw in Business Week. Instead, go a little further and make a, a, a leap that, that is risk taking. But like basically, listen, we just looked at you. We're just getting to know you guys. And I could be wrong about this, but it seems to me that, you know, this kind of issue X over here might be really important for you. Is that right? Right? Now, there's only two possible answers, and they're both good. Mm -hmm. The first one is, yes, X is a big deal. I'd love to talk to you about that. Great. Wonderful. Second one's actually even better. We're back to the paradox. That's where somebody says, ah, everybody thinks X is the problem, but no, it's actually Y. In which case, you say, oh, my God, the minute you said that, I realized, you know, you're, of course, you're right. Tell me more about Y. And they'll be happy to. Now, what's key to all that is you got to be possibly wrong. You can't fake it. It can't be some uh, uh, trap uh, uh, piece of research. You really have to possibly be wrong because that says I am willing to take a risk on my reputation right at the beginning of this call by saying something that might be stupid. And here it is. And that provokes the most natural human response of all, which is reciprocity, which mm -hmm. is to say, well, you just took a risk and thank you for that. And therefore, I will tell you something and, and we'll have a dialogue. So don't leave with just pure bulletproof content. Leave with risky content. 
let's let's unpack that just a little bit more if you will when you say that there's no trust without risk just expand a little bit on the link between risk and trust well let's let's unpack the word trust at the beginning trust Mm -hmm. is a relationship between two people let's say and it's made up of of people who play different roles the the first role is trustor that's the one who initiates by taking a risk and then there's the trustee the person who then proves himself either trustworthy or not so um if it's very tempting for all the people that I deal with, which are mostly like accountants and lawyers and financial managers and so forth, they want to be trustworthy. And I tell them, well, that's great. You should be trustworthy and that'll help. But if that's all you do, it's like aggressively waiting for the phone to ring. Not going to mm-hmm. happen. You have to mm-hmm. learn how to build risk and you take the first, the first risk. So uh, it, at the one hand, blind faith is not trust. That's just religion or blind faith or something at the other end engineered calculated probabilities that's not trust either that's just taking an educated informed bet trust Mm -hmm. is when one person kind of puts themselves out in a little bit of harm's way you know possibly being embarrassed or hurt or upset or pleased or what but they're still willing to do it because they think maybe kind of this person i can trust so that's that's where risk fits in I remember years ago in my early 20s, uh, going through some difficult times and sitting there with a counselor and, and uh, we were in a, a little, uh, a tiny office and she was a chain smoker. This tells you how long ago this was. But I remember at one point and I was talking and she takes a, a drag of her cigarette and she goes, you know what, Jeff, what you just said right there, that was crap. You want to be honest with me? I can help, but I can't help otherwise. And I, I look back at it now and I think that's so, sort of a mean thing to say, certainly a risky thing to say, Yeah. but she was absolutely right. And she yeah. called me on it and that actually increased the trust through the risk. Not saying that I recommend this tactic for sales professionals, but that's an example of what it is we're talking well, about. That is, yeah. If you abstract, you know, the chain smoking and then and all, it is exactly right. I mean, yeah. you're not going to get trust by playing safe all the time. It goes mm-hmm. back to the, that myth that trust takes time. No, it takes courage. It takes the courage to take those little risks. And, right. and by the way, as human beings, the, the behavioral economists will tell you, we tend to overrate the negative, we tend to overrate the near term, right. we tend to mm-hmm. underestimate the positive and the long term, which means in all these little uncomfortable situations, we can always do the safe thing, which is nothing. Mm-hmm. However, the problem with doing nothing, uh, what was the Wayne Gretzky quote? You'll never miss 100% of the shots you never take. So yeah. what? Yeah. You don't get any yeah. credit for that. Yeah. Uh, we're just about out of time, but just as you look at this philosophically, you've got to be just... It, you got to sleep well at night knowing that uh, you've helped a lot of people uh, to uh, uh, to be able to do their job in a way that's consistent with their values, with their morals, with their ethics. You've given them permission to be who they are. I, I assume that that brings a smile to your face. It does. I mean, first of all, that's a um, uh, a very high level, I think, accurate and generous uh, statement of, of what I've done is to make people comfortable with to, to say you can be a business sales professional and be 100% ethical, et cetera, et cetera. And you're right. I'm in, at least in my recent years, I'm beginning to be able to sit back and say, yeah, maybe I got that one right. Maybe that really is useful. So How about I, that? <laughs> thank you for articulating it so nicely. Absolutely. Well, just on behalf of sales professionals ever, we thank you for your expertise in this area. It is something where uh, I I am 
thrilled that we are seeing the 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 positive evolution of the sales profession into yeah. something that's much more cooperative with people and uh, ultimately uh, it, it it isn't about how we get paid it's about how we solve problems and when you solve problems you get paid that's you tend to get it. paid well that's that's yeah. exactly yeah. the point yeah yeah, yeah. thank I, you jeff Thank you, Charlie. It's a pleasure. Uh, thanks for all you do. Thanks for being on the program. A pleasure for me. Thank you so much. Ciao. So there you go, Murph. That really, really interesting conversation with a really good guy. And uh, he's, I, I, as I had mentioned to him in the conversation, he's done something special here. He's given people permission to be uh, who it is they are. That was a great interview. It was, you know, and I guess it's one of those things you don't really think about. It does at least doesn't pop uh, into the forefront of your mind that being flawed is actually good for building trust. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, I was, I'm still just sort of, you know, playing around in my mind this idea that there's no trust without risk. And we think about trust as this, you know, feel good, warm and fuzzy thing. But I think that, that, you know, as you think about the applications of trust, yeah, there is some risk that needs to be taken there. And I wonder at times if we don't trust as we should because we are not willing to risk as we should. Did, did that resonate with you, Murph? Yeah, it does. You know, you realize that uh, risk is an important part of any relationship. Um, I didn't find my wife because I wasn't taking a risk. I had to take a risk to uh, invest in that relationship. And so being vulnerable is a big chunk of it. Yeah, yeah. But you got to put yourself out there, right? You know, one of the things that I look at here, too, is the, is the question of how do you make sure that the trust that you establish that you maintain? And so it, what we'll find here in relationships, if we are not doing what we say we're going to do, if we are not serving, if we are not providing value, that's a problem. So if you are a sales professional and in the course of that relationship, you move away from that trusted connection, you become very procedural. You're following the, the you got to do this and you got to do that. And now you're another thing on their to-do list or you stop making the calls or even before they choose to buy. If, you're, if, if you are just doing nothing but harassing them, then any early trust is going to be quickly evaporated. And that's why when I wrote follow up and close the sale, there's this question of how do you add value and then add value and then add value and then add value. If you are not adding value all throughout the process, you're not doing it right. And eventually it's going to get really, really wearing. So every annoying phone call, every annoying email, every annoying bit of follow up is going to erode that trust. And so one of the things that you are charged to do as a sales professional then is to constantly brainstorm. How do I help more? How do I help more? How do I help more? What's this newest version of value? What can I do to think in advance? What does this customer need? What problem do they have that they don't even know they have right now? How do I get in front of that? That's where the magic happens. So let me just encourage you as we think this through, whether it has to be with the way you're greeting somebody and, and developing that trust initially, or how you are sustaining that trust, that you're taking that serve first mentality. That's a huge chunk of what follow up and close the sale is all about. I hope you've uh, uh, ordered your copy on Amazon. So there you have it. A great conversation with Charles Green. I hope you enjoyed it. We'll put his contact information. You can follow him at the trust at, at trustedadvisor.com and learn more about how you can be your best self, your best trusted advisor. Until next time, go out there and change someone's world. Mm -hmm.